All right, today's guest on episode three of the Various and Numerous podcast is a fellow podcaster, YouTuber. His show, Kennedy Financial, has over 3,000, I think 3.1K uh, subs. I think it's grown like 33% since him and I became friends in the last six months. Uh, it's definitely uh, got a nice boost here in the last few months. He's a CPA and a financial counselor, and uh, he's interested in the Austrian school like myself. Uh, and uh, Liberty cryptocurrency lover, Mr. Philip Kennedy. I appreciate you coming on the uh, show today, sir. Yeah, thanks, RL. Thanks for having me. You and I hit it off right away. It's almost like you're a brother from another mother. When uh, you understand sound money, free markets, and real economics, you can pretty much get along with anybody, especially if they understand them too. So yeah, thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, when you and I met, uh, or talked online first it was definitely like uh i felt like we got a bond between us some sort of uh brotherly bond <laughs> yeah for sure thanks for coming on my show too uh tonight we got maddie greenspan filling in for you he's got big big shoes to fill we're gonna do a round table <laughs> absolutely but, I'll, I'll definitely yeah. be watching that uh yeah, it'll be fun uh i started everybody I, i'm like I'm, I'm turning into like the larry king of the uh the Bitcoin podcast world. I want to know like people's backstories and stuff. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Frederick, Maryland, going to Catholic school for 12 years. And when it came time to go to college, the uh, Kennedy family really hadn't saved very much. So I was told, Hey, you know what, if you want to go to college, you're going to have to go to community college or get into a military academy. So I started applying to all the military academies and I happened to get accepted to the U.S. Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut, which at that time only accepted 7% of its applicants. So that year, believe it or not, I'm just an ordinary guy. It was more selective than Harvard. It was the most selective school in the country. So I was like, man, I can't turn that down. Here's an opportunity to get a great free education and also attend one of the best schools in the nation. So I went there, found out that life at sea was not going to be for me, dropped out, ended up uh, trying out University of Maryland, which was far too big with 40,000 students. I only graduated in a high school class of 50 kids. So to me, it made more sense uh, to go to a smaller school. So I went out to the Eastern Shore of Maryland, graduated from Salisbury University with an accounting degree, got my CPA. And uh, that's kind of what has led me into the whole crypto space. Being an accountant, in the greater D.C. area, you see fraud, waste, and abuse up close and personal. So as we uh, keep saying on Twitter, man, it's time for Plan B. You know, we, it's time for trustless, immutable, decentralized ledger to uh, hold government accountable. So that, that's kind of my quick story, how I became who I am and how I got in the space. You and I have the same sort of distaste for, the, uh, for statism. So, uh, yeah, that's, that was definitely you know, where I wanted, to, I wanted to get into that here. Uh, what, what, so when, when would you say you got really interested in, um, economics and how the world works? Uh, definitely a 2008 financial crisis. I found Tom Woods who, uh, really is just such an ambassador for libertarianism and the Austrian school. I read his book meltdown, which came out. Apparently he had to write that in less than a month and it's a great book. I don't know how many pages it is, but if you read that book and you realize he's basically outlining what the federal government has done and is going to do in response to its failures. And so that book really set me on this journey where I realized, hey, 
this is all a farce. These guys don't have it figured out. Here they went to these best, the best universities, all these Ivy League schools, and they're clueless as to how the economy works. So that led me to the Austrian school. And from there, I started reading things like Rothbard and watching Peter Schiff videos. And that's kind of how my journey began. And uh, once you kind of pull back the curtain on those items, it's just a matter of time before you're going to discover Bitcoin and realize its potential. Unfortunately, I really feel like the great Peter Schiff has failed us right. in this area. I don't know if it's because he doesn't understand information technology or a decentralized ledger, but he's led a lot of people astray. I will say this though, what he has done for us is he had Eric Voorhees on his show in November, 2013, when Bitcoin was going to a thousand bucks. And I was like, man, this is uh, this looks like a bubble, but I'm going to keep my eye on it. And when it fell to 200, I was like, oh, well, it's gone. It's done. He, Peter was right. No one's ever going to buy this thing again. And it was only during 2016, I kind of kept my eye on the price. And I was like, that's it. I'm opening a Coinbase account. <laughs> I started loading up. And I was loading up at the right time. I mean, anybody who was in the market during 2017 really enjoyed that ride. I think we're going to see that ride again. But uh, yeah, poor Peter Schiff. I think he's going to be a villain in this space. Yeah, he was, he was one of my heroes too, I'll be honest with you. And it's not that I dislike him anymore or anything because, you know, we can all differ in opinion. But he's he's definitely suffering from a uh, bad case of cognitive dissonance, I think. There's something going on with him where he can't just uh, – he can't, he can't seem to mesh the – the Bitcoin, the scarce, you know, the scarce uh, supply and everything together. He just doesn't see the utility for some reason. Or maybe it's just because he has a, uh, you know, dog in the fight in the, uh, you know, the specie, you know, precious metals market. So I'm not really sure what's going on with him either. What yeah. would you, uh, were you a gold bug before Bitcoin? Were you Big really time. In fact, I made uh, one of the single dumbest purchases of all time, I bought silver in like September 2011. Uh, I had a serious pullback from 50 bucks, and I was like, "Oh well, you know, I, me personally, I think silver's going to 100 someday." So I bought a considerable amount, and it was a very bad decision, especially when you consider I should have been buying Bitcoin, right? I mean, if I had bought Bitcoin back then. We probably wouldn't be doing this interview because I just really wouldn't have time for URL. I'd be sitting on my yacht somewhere. <laughs> you probably wouldn't have internet. You'd be out in the middle of the Pacific or something. I wouldn't yeah, you. <laughs> exactly. So I bought silver. I still have a lot of silver. I'm a gold and silver bug still, but I firmly believe that the plunge protection team, the banking cartel, the COMEX all have their foot on the throat of gold and silver. And the reason they get away with the scheme is because unlike Bitcoin, it's not transparent. The market's not transparent. If you go back, remember when Mt. Gox was hacked? Yes. And ultimately authorities figured out it was this guy named Alexander who was living in Greece and he was arrested and everything like that. Remember, there were some people out there who put together all these sophisticated charts showing the flow of Bitcoin to the different wallets. And it was like this brilliant graphic. And I always thought, wow, can you imagine if we had something like that for gold and silver? 
And yeah. the reason we don't is because it's a physical market and nobody takes delivery. You know, Warren Buffett bought like billions of dollars of silver one time. He didn't, he didn't take delivery. He didn't have it show up at his little house there in Omaha. So that's why they get away with this scheme. I think Bitcoin is the Achilles to the Comex paper fraud. And for those in your audience who don't like gold and silver or maybe vice versa, they like gold and silver, they don't like Bitcoin. I had Keith F. Smith on my show. He uh, used to be with Nexus. He's now a retired Bitcoin millionaire. He said, look, they're complimentary. You know, one is going to hold the other accountable. I mean, think about it, RL. If you had sold your Bitcoin in December 2017 and bought gold and then rinse, wash, repeat, it, it makes perfect sense. You yeah, know, you're going from sound money to sound money and you're holding your purchasing power the whole time. So I, I think it's a, it's a win-win. I get a lot of hate in the comment section on my show for bringing that up. No, I, I think that makes perfect sense that until uh, the Bitcoin uh, market, total market cap grows uh, and there, we see this volatility, what, you know, people speculate on how many more of these uh, run-ups we get to higher prices. And then this, the 90% drawback, uh, that actually makes perfect sense that you could, you could, you know, try to time the market, go back into, you know, maybe gold or uh, you could even hold it in, uh, Fiat, since, you know, fiat is relatively stable in the short run, unless you think that we're going to have some sort of like major crisis in the next few years, which I'm going to get into here in a minute. But yeah, I think that's actually a really good idea. Uh, yeah, I think so too. I mean, gold's been money for 5,000 years. That's not going to change. Right. But necessity is the mother of invention. Obviously, Bitcoin came along for a reason. Right. And the free market chose it. I'm uh, I'm not anti uh, gold either. It's just funny that Peter Schiff is so anti Bitcoin. It's like he 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 uh, was tweeting about it every day for a while and talking about how millennials and people are going to lose all their money. And now you haven't seen him mes- uh, mention it here in a few days. I don't think. I don't know. I haven't at least. Uh, what what is your favorite? If you had to pick one characteristic about Bitcoin, what do you think? Uh, like as far as utility, what do you think the uh, what's your favorite thing overall about Bitcoin? Portability. Yeah. Think about it, man. I mean, let's just think about it. Let's not even get into the uh, sovereign debt crisis that we're going to see one day. Let's just talk about your average guy. Uh, I don't know if your audience is mostly comprised of men, especially young men, but mine is. So I I feel I have no problems bringing this up. But one of the most, I won't say dangerous decisions a young man makes, but certainly one of the riskiest decisions a young man makes is deciding to get married because the way our society is now set up, you basically are going to have at least half your wealth taken from you if things don't work out, which they all too often don't, you know, they say what it's at least 50% of the time. So (laughs) Bitcoin, like it or not, creates an opportunity for a man to save in sound, portable money and potentially just go start a whole brand new life somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> and not have, to, not have to be a victim of the state's family laws. I mean, family court is no place for a man. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I hate talking about it this way, but th- this is the God's honest truth. I think what you're going to see in our lifetimes, in the not too distant future, is a lot of young men popping smoke and heading off to Malta or Belize, Singapore, you name it. And they're just going to start a whole brand new life because, you know, if if their marriage doesn't work out, 
then they don't have to have half their net worth confiscated by uh, the powers that be. So th- that's just one item. But the, and then the more serious thing, what I see coming is a sovereign debt crisis where guys like you and me who potentially become Bitcoin millionaires and billionaires, well, we're going to be labeled evil speculators. And the reality is, is we were just prudent enough to save and sound money because we knew that our wise overlords in Washington were going to fail us. And so for, uh, you know, I know that Caitlin Long, for example, is doing great work in Wyoming, but until these states stand up to this evil, overbearing federal government, we need an opportunity to be able to emigrate with our 12 words on our brain and just go start a new life somewhere. And I don't want to do that. I know you don't want to do that either. I mean, Pittsburgh's your home, Northern Virginia's mine. I don't want to have to leave. But on the other hand, I'm not going to have a bunch of leftists tell me what to do with my uh, my wealth. It's just not going to happen. I'm prepared to vote with my feet if I have to. I, I think it's I, I see that trend coming too. And like you you were talking about, you know, they've they've turned the capitalist and the people that actually have like long term orientation and the producers into villains. So uh, it's like uh, give me, give me, give me, and anyone who doesn't really. Uh, you know, adhere to that philosophy that wants to uh, try to, you know, make the world a better place and produce the iPhone in your pocket or whatever, you know, they're, they're the bad people in the world. So it's kind of, it, it's like they're tur- they've turned the world on top of uh, its head really, you know. Yeah, they really have. But you know what also I look forward to is stories of young South Americans and Africans who happen to understand IT and right. maybe mine Bitcoin or started buying it, realizing, hey, you know, my currency is going to hyperinflate, so maybe I should just buy a little bit of this other thing. Just changing their lives. I mean, we need more stories like that to prove, hey, this isn't a scam. This isn't going away. This literally is going to change the lives of young people all over the world who now have a real opportunity to improve their life, go somewhere else, take their wealth with them. I actually suspect that there's more of those than we, because, you know, they're not going to come out and talk about it a lot because it's not safe wherever they are. So in a lot of cases. Yeah. I mean, I would, if I had Bitcoin down in Venezuela, I certainly wouldn't bring it up. Can you imagine you're just going to, someone's going to kidnap you and uh, either take the life of a loved one or your, your life if you don't fork it over. So what uh, uh, are you, I know, I know you're not a Bitcoin maximalist. Which projects are you interested in? All right, so my favorite are the projects that have been around a while that also potentially offer fungibility. So Litecoin's obviously a big one. You can't overlook Litecoin. It's been up 100% of the time since 2011. On top of that, the Litecoin community, the Litecoin fam doesn't have a psychopath within it like Bitcoin does with Craig and Calvin and all those evildoers. So I like Litecoin from that perspective. I trust Charlie Lee. I also like Dash because of privacy, anonymity. I think that community is doing great things. I like Zcash, even though, man, if you held Zcash since the top, you've just been punished. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's down like 98% or something like that. But, But you know, will they hit new all-time highs again? Anything below, say, the top 10, 
on coin market cap. I'm not so sure they're going to hit an all time high again, but I, I firmly believe, and I'll say it on your show that Litecoin will hit a new all time high. And I think it's going to happen in the next 24 months. I tend to agree with you that Litecoin is one of the ones that have a lot of utility still. Um, you and I kind of went back and forth the other day uh, talking about uh, how high we think Litecoin can go. Um, you want to give any sort of uh, on the air prediction or? Well, I'll stick to uh, multiples. You know, you, I joke around with, with the AKA Kennedy multiple, right? That's just a take on the mayor multiple. I, I saw nobody else was kind of keeping track of Litecoin and its statistics and history. So I've gone ahead and done that. And I, if anybody wants to read those, they can just go to, Kennedy Finance on uh, Twitter and check my posts. I put it out every few days, especially when something there's like a statistical anomaly. That, that's a good time to put something up. You but, keep track uh, of the statistics like nobody else I know. So uh, <laughs> if you guys definitely should go over and check out what he's doing with those. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I'm a nerd. So <laughs> I put up the Kennedy multiple here in uh, column F. It's 0.86 as of today. It got as high as 0.88 on. January 14th. That's just the 200 day moving average or the current price divided by the 200 day moving average. Uh, if we get back to say a multiple, like in June of 2.4, we'll be looking pretty good. I mean, imagine the 200 day moving average right now is $66. So if you just take that by itself, multiply it by 2.4, which would place it in like the 90th percentile in terms of moves right uh, over the course of litecoin's lifespan I, I think i'd be a that'd be a good place to sell but uh i think that if we see bitcoin heading toward fifty thousand dollars to me thousand dollar litecoin seems fairly plausible that'd be what two percent of bitcoin's price i think that could so, happen if we go to 50k yeah i think that's in the cards i think if that does happen, though, prepare to watch the bottom fall out. Right. I think we'll see it fall hundreds of dollars. I mean, at that point, I'll be posting on Twitter, hey, guys, I'm moving to Bitcoin or tethering, which is something, you know, I wanted to ask you. I wish I had done that in December 2017. I, I knew I knew this was a bubble and I needed to, you know, flock to safety. But on the other hand, I don't trust tether or any of the other stable coins. So I didn't. I didn't move, but I think I will this next time. If we see Bitcoin 50,000, I'll probably take half my stack and look for a quality stable. Coin. You can't, you can't go wrong there. I know you had DaVinci on your show recently and we talked about the old lady um, strategy and that's, that's pretty, pretty much what that is right there. Yeah. So uh, what do you see a future of uh, like all of the, you know, a five, 10, 20, what do you see? Uh, blockchains that are like really providing utility, people are using them, you know, with interoperability and uh, being able to communicate with uh, different chains. Where, where do you see the future of uh, projects? Like well, how many do you think? Are, there, are we going to have thousands of blockchains in a couple of years like we do now? Or do you see just like a few proprietary chains uh, communicating? Or do you see Bitcoin not wanting to be talking to other chains? What do you think? You know, I almost look at it in terms of firearms, right? Like how many guns do you actually need? Well, you don't really need that many because you only have one you can use at any given time, right. but you need several different types depending on the particular circumstance. 
we all can't just walk around with a shotgun or rifle to defend ourselves. So that's where a pistol comes in handy. Mm-hmm. So I really doubt in the long run that, I mean, certainly there, aren't, there won't be 5,000 like CoinMarketCap says. These are just methods to enrich the creators like Richard Hart and Hex. I mean, when he brought that up, I saw him bringing it up in like 2018 on uh, what's his Ivan's show, Ivan on Tech. And I was just like, man, I just don't even trust this guy just from a gut feeling from my work as a forensic accountant and fraud examiner. I mean, this guy is shady and he says he's a billionaire, but he's like given his presentations from what looks like a crypt or something. So <laughs> I think the, the, the real thing that people have to remember, the beauty of Bitcoin and Litecoin is nobody was really paying attention back then. These things came into existence. They were decentralized. No one really thought they were going to last and they've had to prove their metal over eight to 10 years. So that's what makes them valuable. I don't see anything really in the long run, anything outside the top 30 really lasting. I think they're all going to go the way of MySpace and Blockbuster Video. So you don't think the, those, uh, those ones down past the top 30 will be around just to speculate on or no? Sure, but, I mean, young people are going to lose their shirt. I mean, right. would you tell your mom to buy anything other than Bitcoin? I, I really wouldn't. And that's coming from a, a Litecoin enthusiast. You right. know, I'm yeah. willing to speculate with my own money, but I wouldn't tell anybody on my show to buy anything with low volume and a low market cap. That, I mean, it's bad enough. You know, Back to the aforementioned Peter Schiff, think about how much time he spends bashing Bitcoin, which only as of today has like a $160 billion market cap or something. Like what other stock out there does he bash that has a $160 billion market cap? It, that has to be some sort of fear indicator to me, right? I mean, right. That he is really concerned that, you know, this is the new way. Yeah, I think he is. I think a lot of these guys are, you know, I've tried to do my best to bring folks together. I had Michael Pento debate, debate uh, Saifedean. And it shifted from a debate to more of like a Q&A, which was nice to see because Michael had an open mind. I think it's really, think of the hubris you have to think, have to believe that, well, you know what? I happen to be alive and I've witnessed the internet boom mm-hmm. and the cell phone boom. And yet I'm still going to sit here and say that you know, no one's ever going to transact in this stuff. Right. It's kind of like you're detached from reality. It's like you don't know any millennial or Gen Z folks who have really no interest in buying gold or silver. They're all on Cash App, buying Bitcoin and holding it. I think it's, and I say this as a guy who I was in my early 20s or late teens when the internet bubble was happening. And, uh, I wasn't too bright. I was probably more focused on girls and alcohol and cars back then. But I I swore after that, I was like, look, I am never going to miss another adoption curve as long as I live. And uh, fortunately, I missed being a victim of the housing bubble, but then I was able to buy in later when everything collapsed and then make a pretty good profit on my first home. And and so that's what I think we're seeing here, man. When, When we look when we look at the market cap, everybody wants to talk about, oh, well, that's a classic bubble bursting, right? And then you've got the echo bubble. That's not what's happening. That's not what we're seeing here. You got to put it on a log scale, man. This is an adoption curve. 
you know, I, you and I have spoken on your show, and I kind of made a prediction that I think Bitcoin's going to go to 65000 in the next, let's see here, probably be like 89, 90 weeks now. I don't have it in front of me, but whatever that, whatever that time frame is, um, that would take us to like December uh, 2021, I think, is pretty much when I think we'll, we'll peak out maybe. What, what is your, what's your take on that? What do you think about um, how long this, because I'm pretty sure that you agree with me that we're in a bull market. Yeah, I think we're in a bull market. I think the bottom was December of last year. I think this next bull market will take a good two and a half, three years to play out, mm-hmm. uh, especially with this halving. I mean, I think we'll see a short-term run-up. We'll see a pullback. And then as the sovereign debt crisis around the world plays out, mm-hmm. people will tend to flock to something that's going up. So. I don't think we'll see another hundred bagger on Litecoin, for example, but I think we're going to see lots of 10 baggers. So if I, if I pull up a chart here on my end, I've got uh, potentially, I need to probably update this, but by October of next year, if things played out like they have in the past, you'd see like $76,000 Bitcoin. I don't think that's outside the realm of possibilities. On on the other hand, I mean, I'd probably be unloading at that point. <laughs> I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. Yeah, the only thing that uh, peop- that uh, has is not the same is now you have the ability to short it. So um, that's one thing that we haven't really seen. You know, a lot of people are more interested in shorting today. Right. Uh, but you can only short to zero, and you can, you know, you can make exponential gains upwards. So uh, once FOMO uh, enacts and we cross that all-time high, 1990 or whatever it was, uh, yep. to, to 20K, 21, 22, 23K. We start, people really start gaining interest. You know, uh, CNBC and everybody on television is, you know, covering this. And, you know, it's, they're already, like, starting to again. So uh, I can definitely see that happening. What, do you see a future where Bitcoin uh, surpasses, uh, you know, it's already, like, top 20 i can't remember the exact number of in the in the world as a currency i think where do you see a future where it could be a top 10 or maybe even eat up all the value and become number one i want to believe that it could but on the other hand i'm really suspicious of the intellect of my fellow man who (laughs) realized that this is a better thing i mean aren't you i think uh i do agree with trace mare that bitcoin is the black hole that could swallow up all the world's currencies. But unfortunately, I think that governments have a stranglehold on a lot of nations around the world. So that's going to make it difficult. But the good news is, is there will be governments that become more service oriented rather than control oriented. So with that in mind, I think it will be a top five at some point. Right. I think you'll still have the dollar and the euro you know and the yuan and and things like that but it's definitely going to be within that basket of wealth preserving assets and i don't think people are even going to think of it as a currency anymore i was just on there with lamar on the cigar and crypto podcast and he made the point to say there on the show that early in the early days because he's an og he was mining in like 2014 
he he said, yeah, you know, I was spending this Bitcoin on flights because they would take it. And it never occurred to me that this was a wealth preservation tool. I was using it like a currency. And so just like Viagra, you know, it was invented for heart issues and they discovered, hey, it's got this other effect that we can potentially sell it for. I think that's what, that's what Bitcoin's purpose is going to be. It, it's for anybody who gets upset with me on my show for liking or even talking about altcoins, I'm never going to say that they're, they're, the, the seven network effects that Trace talks about, those aren't going to be disrupted anytime soon. You know, the BSV pump the other day was such a joke. Like who's buying yeah. BSV over Bitcoin as a store of wealth? Nobody. They're all, this is a short-term trade. So sure enough, it collapsed again. That's but, how you lose your shirt right there. Yeah. It, I, I mean, don't it know already why dropped to learn this than, lesson. Yeah, it already dropped more than 35%. It's yeah. it bounced back a little bit, but it went for it almost. I think it might have touched four hundred dollars, and yesterday it was down to two eighty. I think it's like three thirteen right now, something like that. So yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, don't FOMO into this market because you will get wrecked. I mean, if you see something up a hundred percent in a day, uh, stay away. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got to learn that lesson. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. Have to tell anyone that. So with the Fed artificially pumping up this, you know the the market with cheap money uh where do you see this all ending i mean it, it, is it a race to the bottom internationally since uh you know despite being the world's largest debtor we still have the world's reserve currency so um what our impact on the world is obviously quite vast where do you see uh where do you see this heading because the stock market is uh, is making new highs still uh unbelievably i think you and i both think that that's pretty erroneous at this point that some, at some point that's got to end. You know, I'll tell you honestly, cause it's on my mind here. The uh, dollar is the Aaron Hernandez of currencies. <laughs> it's on my mind. Cause I started watching this Netflix doc last I night. That yesterday too. It's phenomenal. It, it's amazing what people can do nowadays with documentaries. They're, they're as gripping. They're even more gripping than movies sometimes yeah. just, Truth is stranger than fiction, but you know if you look at his life and all the problems, the personal problems that he was dealing with, it was evident what the outcome was going to be in hindsight. And for those who knew him personally, I mean, his former college coach, Urban Meyer, like apparently he says he was calling his brother every three to four days to check up on him, make sure that he wasn't getting into any trouble. So this is going to play out unfortunately the same way the life of Aaron Hernandez played out. We have what an analogy. Yeah. We have an enormous national debt. We have trillions of dollars in unfunded liabilities that can never be paid. I mean, if you just look at what the typical taxpayer is responsible for, which they're supposedly on the hook for, this is not your typical citizen RL. This is your typical taxpayer is allegedly on the hook for 187,390 bucks. Now, I do know several successful people, but the vast majority of people that I know that I'm friends and family with, they don't have a net worth of 187,000. They probably they don't even have $10,000 saved for retirement, most people. So, the US government is saying, "Hey, look, you know, we're just going to keep taxing our citizens to pay for all these social welfare programs and endless war and we're good for it. And the reality is, Oh no, you're not. 
And the laws of economics have proven that time and time again throughout the history of mankind. I think we're in big, serious trouble when the House of Cards does come collapsing down. Everyone, even, you know, the Jim Cramers of the world, the, the Neil Cash carriers are going to come out and be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we all saw it coming, but right. we've got a plan to fix it. And there is no plan to fix it. The uh, Unfortunately, the United States is going to lose its reserve currency status on the dollar and will no longer be a world superpower. We're going to have to tighten our belts, go back to austerity. Uh, it's going to be tough because a lot of Americans are used to being coddled. I mean, just look at all of the malinvestment and misallocation of resources out there. I, I know you probably see me joke about it on Twitter, but like all these guys starting microbreweries <laughs> or, you know, there's like several brand new reception halls here in the area. And I'm like, you know, how many weddings are really happening? Like you'd have to fill that place up. How much did, how much money did the bank loan them? That's a great point. Yeah. Somebody's, you know, uh, you see, uh, somebody started a successful business. Let's just say a Walgreens, you see a Walgreens down the street and eventually you're driving down the street and there's 10 Walgreens, you know, it's yeah. like, how many Walgreens do you need? Right. Well, that's the problem. When you have artificially low interest rates for eight years and then the Fed tries to raise them and then crashes on the launch pad, what do you expect to happen? It's evident that they've created an everything bubble. So do you think Especially. there's a day we wake up and we have one of those, what was it, Black Monday or whatever, uh, you know, back in the 20s? Uh, what year was it? I'm sure you probably know. Yeah, so uh, from 29 to 33, the stock market fell like 85%. I mean, we're used to that in altcoins. <laughs> but RL, I mean, we're talking about the, the U.S. stock market, right? Like, I think in real terms, it's going to fall that far again. You know, uh, I'm, we're agnostic politically on my show, but uh, we just kind of point out current events to mm -hmm. use them as examples of things that have happened before. Nobody can prevent the laws of economics from playing out. So the president keeps coming out and saying, hey, look, look what I've done. I got the stock market at a new all-time high. Well, sure he does, yeah. nominally, right? right? It's nominal. The, the real high was in, let's see if I can zoom in here, September of 2018. So you got to give him some credit. Uh, from the time he was elected, he got the Dow to go up from 16 ounces of gold to 22 but it's falling we're back down under 19 and if you zoom out to all the years you can see the great depression you know the market uh, was actually relatively sensible back then it only got up to 16 ounces of gold fell all the way down to under two so that's going to happen again what year are you looking at right now uh, that was 1929. By the okay. time it got, it, by the time it reached its bottom, it was uh, February 1933. Do you want to guess how long it took the market to get back to real? It, it's the same nominal high, 16 ounces. You want to guess how long it took? I think it was something like 20 years. Yeah, to get back to 16 ounces of gold, it it was uh, 1959. Yeah. So think about that, man. Like that's why my grandparents behaved the way they did. Right. My grandmother never threw anything out. There was no eating out. You were eating, you know, pasta and, you know, whatever you can eat. Very, very cheap uh, lifestyle. My grandmother said right. when she was a child, she would scoop 
mouse feces right. off the top of oatmeal as it was being cooked and they would still eat it because they didn't yeah. they didn't throw any away. That's what I'm afraid we have coming again, man. We, we're gonna have lot, austerity. I've heard a lot of similar stories, you know, eating mush at night, mush for lunch, mush mush for breast, mush for breakfast. So it's kind of crazy. Uh, what so what, when that when that pain comes, uh, what do you think that reversal will be like in the stock or in the uh, real estate market? You seem to have like I know you have your ear to uh, almost everything. Do you think it'll be like 20, 30 percent reversals in property, or what do you think about that? That's the thing. I just got a question the other day. Someone was saying, hey, you know, don't you think uh, if you think property values. I, I, so here's the thing. I think at this point, the Fed's going to go the hyperinflationary depression route because most Americans got a government school education, so they can't do math. So they can't figure out like things are actually getting a lot worse. When they have they, no clue. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, you might have guys saying, oh, you know, my pay went up by uh, 10% this year. Yeah, but, you know, your health care went up by 50 or whatever. So I think they'll get away with that for a little bit, and home prices will continue to go up nominally. And so the question I've been getting, a question I got the other day is, hey, Phil, don't you think, like, I should take out a bunch of leveraged debt and buy some rental properties and, you know, potentially uh, leverage them out 30 years so that, I can borrow money at 4% or whatever. And Buy a couple more. Yeah. And my attitude with that is, yeah, the problem though, is if it doesn't play out the way I'm thinking, the properties could plummet in value just like 08. And then you're left holding the bag with the debt. So when in a, in a post Bitcoin world, for me, if you're looking for the premium asymmetric asset, you got to go with Bitcoin. Right. because it's not going to bother you. It's not going to wake you up at night and be like, hey, the toilet's leaking. It's not going to uh, ruin your place, and, and you're going to have to get it fumigated and you know fixed up because they had a bunch of uh, Rottweilers. Maybe they were like doing pit bull fights or something <laughs> in their basement. You know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin's not going to do any of that. And in fact, if anything, it's the opposite. You can board a flight and go somewhere else with 12 words you don't you're not stuck with 30 properties that you got to unwind i just that's the way my mind works man I, what, yeah, what I, I know that we have our own opinions about uh, uh warren buffett and what he said about bitcoin being rat poison and uh all that but i was watching a documentary on him recently and he was talking to, it, it you know matched up with what you're saying right there um he kind of was talking about how you know, he owns a farm, but he's only ever been there once. <laughs> so, you know, you don't have to, if you don't have to go uh, keep an eye on your investment, that's a good thing. You know, if, you, if, you, if we have this belief in Bitcoin, we can hold on to it over time. But how often do you have to be uh, keeping your eye on your properties and stuff like that? So I was just curious what you thought about real estate. Uh, so uh, let's see. I think I only have a couple more here for you. Uh when do you see uh like we don't we don't really talk about time frame when do you, when is this market really gonna finally pop because i don't see i i don't see how much longer it can go um i guess we've been saying that for a while now um what's what are your thoughts i mean when when uh when's this thing gonna finally you know when's the sink uh when's the ship gonna sink well, so I wrote a little free ebook that folks can download on philipkennedy.com called Financial Judo. I was rushing, literally rushing on December 31st, 2016, because I had made a personal life goal to write my first ebook by the end of the year. 
So my wife was like literally proofreading it before we uh, posted it on New Year's Eve 2015. And uh, in that ebook, I wrote, hey, you know, by the end of 2018, I think we'll see a Dow gold ratio of one to one again. And if you look at the chart, it looked like it was in the cards. I mean, it, it topped out during the internet bubble at like 40 ounces. So just kind of like drawing a similar line that we had seen during the Great Depression or the uh, 70s, I thought, well, certainly, you know, on, on the pace we're at by the end of 2018, we'll be down one to one. But, you know, the Fed pulled a, a rabbit, a temporary rabbit out of the hat with artificially low interest rates and QE that I didn't see coming. Uh, again, kind of goes back to your fellow man theory, right? Like, yeah. just because I think something's going to happen, the market can disagree and go the other way. Um, but I think in the long run, this is still going to play out the way I saw it. And uh, I think it'll be even faster now. Like, imagine if uh, you were a scuba diver and you had a beach ball and you just kept, like, pushing a beach ball as low as you could go. You know, you're kicking hard with your fins and you're swimming that bad boy down. Like, the further you get, like, the farther that beach ball is going to come firing out of uh, the ocean. So that's the way I see it going. I mean, if you just look at the 70s, I mean, from the time of uh, 76 to 80, I mean, that was a short time period, only four years. It, the market just totally collapsed. I, I think Trump better be careful. I think he's going to get a second term, but, man, he better be careful. I, I think when he leaves, he's probably going to be replaced with a communist because people are going to say, hey, look, we tried to give the capitalist businessman a chance, and now all hell's broken loose. So uh, I don't know, man. I mean, what, what do Yogi Berra say? Uh what's the future is hard to predict or things are hard to predict, especially about the future. I think we're already on borrowed time, but we'll see. I just don't see us making it like another four years without an overwhelming signal that we can all agree on that. We're definitely in a recession. It's just, we're, we're long overdue at this point. I didn't think we were going to get into Yogi Bear today, but I'm glad you threw that in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I'm all in the Petro. The Venezuelan Petro, they're, they're Republican. No, that's a joke. <laughs> I was going to say, you're scaring me. Yeah. Uh, two more questions. What, is, what do you think about central banks buying Bitcoin? Uh, do you think they already are? Um, do you have any thoughts on where they might be buying if they are? You know, I don't think they're buying, certainly not the Fed or the ECB. I think if they were to buy, their goal would be to smash the price, which – I was thinking that might have happened. Uh, remember when Bitcoin fell from six to three in the matter of like, it was during that whole BSV nonsense or the November 2018. Yeah. I thought maybe some central banks were involved with that. I mean, it, it's an easy market. I mean, this, this market is a dinghy in a hurricane, man. Like really think about how easy it is. You know, you got whales who can move the market by like simply dumping a thousand Bitcoin on the market yeah. at one time. So think about how easy it would be for a central bank that wants to temporarily make its currency look better by smashing the price of Bitcoin. Problem is, I think in the long run, wide stewards of wealth like you and me are going to take advantage of those opportunities. You know, see that the mayor multiple has crashed from 0.8 to, or 0.08, uh, yeah, 0.8 to 0.5. And they like, oh, well, today's a buying opportunity. Right. I think that there probably are a couple uh, nation states out there that are buying. I don't really know which ones or anything like that. 
just mere speculation, but um, I think I, I have a feeling, an inkling, maybe there's a there's a few, a handful, maybe. Uh, we'll I hope to. some of these African countries are. I think that'd be a great way for them to yeah. turn around their economies real fast. I mean, that's really the uh, how I got into Bitcoin. I saw it as a way to open up free markets and uh, around the world, really, and take away the borders. Uh, so I see that I see that really coming, you know, to fruition here in the near future. Last question, sir. What right. uh, what does Bitcoin mean to you? I, I'm gonna I'm I'm closing my show out with that one. So uh, I'm gonna ask everybody that at the end. That's into uh, Bitcoin. I think Trace has it right. It means monetary sovereignty. It means you're able to take your wealth anywhere in the world on a trustless, immutable, decentralized ledger that's censorship resistant. I mean, look at all these stories now. If uh, you have wrong think, your bank account can get shut down. Your life can be over. I mean, look at the purge on YouTube. All it's over really, the world. Yeah, it's time for plan B. We kind of take it for granted here in the States because we have a modicum of freedom relative to many of these other tyrannical regimes. But unfortunately, I think that's the direction the United States is going. It seems like we only have less freedom, not more. So, yeah, Bitcoin means monetary sovereignty. Uh, I'm stealing that. That's obviously not my own. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what's your uh, the tagline here on the show? Uh, numerous Varus or whatever? Varus like, and numerous, strength in numbers. Yeah. That's what it's all about. We don't have to trust uh, our fellow man that we we don't have all that all, you know a ton of confidence in, as we've already talked about on this show. Uh, we can trust in the math and the protocol. Yeah, and really, the idea that you can send it over satellite and ham radio, there's nothing stopping this thing. The genie's out of the bottle. It caught him off guard. Even if the NSA created it, who knows? It, they it they never thought it'd be used like this. So it's not going back in the bottle. It's only going to get bigger. If it ever is replaced, it's going to take a really long time. I mean, think about it. As much as I hate Google and YouTube, I still use the Chrome browser. Right. I, I still now I'm, – I'm, I'm getting deeper and deeper, RL. I had to create a Google calendar because all my guests, that's what they use. You know, I'd like to use the Brave browser, but I can't because of the network. You in. Yeah. <laughs> when I try to get out, it pulls me back in. You got the tentacles, right? You, there's – <laughs> yeah. So fortunately, Bitcoin had the same network effect. It's only going to keep growing. I think we're going to see a multi-trillion dollar market cap for Bitcoin, certainly this decade, maybe in the next couple of years. I can see it in the next few years as well. Uh, I think we can close out this year above uh, one trillion for sure after that, after the rate. Yep, I think you're right. Well, I really appreciate your time today, sir. You're the third guest on the show. I wanted to get you in here, uh, you know, first five episodes, and that was, that was successful. I appreciate your time. Uh, everybody get over there. Subscribe to uh, Kennedy Financial on YouTube. Uh, are you on any other platforms? You are, right? Yeah, so I'm on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher. You can find me there. Give us a five-star review. Right. Give RL a five-star review. It helps. People don't understand, like, they might enjoy content for years, and then they think about it. You know, these platforms aren't organically trying to spread information that's not actually helpful to people. So scroll down, give RL a five-star review. Better yet, write him a review and, you know, help people find Bitcoin content. It's not going to happen. iTunes is not going to push it. 
Yeah, he said, uh, some bumper comes out, new head, and he just gets yelled at. 